Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you pray with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit. Bring these words of Jesus, bring these actions of Jesus. Bring the love of Jesus home to each one of us tonight. Pour out your love upon us, Lord, that we might pour out your love to others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it seems like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that we began this Lenten season with Ash Wednesday. Of course, it's a season of repentance, we know that, of turning again to our merciful God and Father. A season that Pete reminded us was actually a time of revival, literally to revivify, to bring to life. Lent is literally a time of coming back to the fullness of life. And Lent began this year, at least in our country, with revivals breaking out among mostly young people at Asbury University, spreading to campuses and communities throughout the country and the world. The words from the young chaplain at the regular good old Asbury Chapel service on a Wednesday on February the 8th were the spark that ignited a flame of revival. The words that Pastor Zach said to his congregation that day, do not leave here until you learn and experience the love of God so you can pour it out. The world needs this kind of love. And how did we know to call it a revival? In my study of revivals, they're characterized by at least three things that set them apart. They're not humanly engineered, but by the power of the Holy Spirit acting upon and in persons and communities whose hearts and minds are turned toward God. The first characteristic is this manifestation of an authentic hunger for God, to be in the near presence of God, to be intimate with God, and God to be intimate with us. We do that through worship, especially, and those services that I watched on YouTube countless nights were just characterized by such worship and love of God, song after song, prayer after prayer, just offering themselves up to the living God. Secondly, these revivals are marked by humility, a real confession of sins, a repentance, a sorrow for those sins, and a turning to God again. A profound humility is also there where no one is spotlighted as the charismatic leader or the organizer or the preacher. It's a movement without names, without personalities, without a spotlight on anybody. But it just happens. It wells up. And God gets the glory, not man. The third characteristic has been just a demonstration of tremendous love. So many relationships in those revivals have been reconciled, people one to another, people 
where relationships had been torn apart, they come back together again. They ask for forgiveness, they forgive one another, and they are reunited in God. It's so powerful to watch. But also the hospitality demonstrated in love at this particular revival, where I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people came into little Wilmore, Kentucky, and somehow they were all cared for, they were all shepherded, they were stewarded well. And God showed up in an amazing way through just people laying down their lives for one another in this revival. Only time will tell whether it had a lasting impact during this wave of revival that still continues on in many places. We wonder what will happen to the body of Christ as a result of that. We won't know probably for a while. But here we are now. It's Maundy Thursday. We're celebrating Holy Week. Traditionally, this night is observed on the night right before Jesus' crucifixion. It seems to me our observance is saturated with these same marks of revival, that deep hunger for God as we come together to worship and to give thanks, to literally take and eat, to take and drink the body, the blood of Jesus Christ that he offers us, especially on this night. And then the deep hunger of God for communion with us. It's embodied by Jesus who says to his disciples on this night, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We, don't, we think about being hungry for God perhaps, but did you know God hungers for you, for communion with you as well? And then there's that humility that's part of this service, such a tender humility and fierce love that Jesus demonstrates in washing his disciples' dusty and dirty feet as part of this Passover meal. The rabbi, the teacher, who becomes their servant, scandalous in their day, shocking. He even stoops to wash Judas' feet, the one who will betray him. And he lovingly washes the feet of the rest of the disciples who will deny or desert him. Jesus makes no distinction. All are washed. All are loved. And so in obedience to Jesus' command on this night, we wash one another's feet. One another might be our friends or our family members. They might be people who are totally unknown to us. Maybe even those who have betrayed us or those whom we have betrayed. We are bearing one of our least presentable parts of ourselves, our feet, to one another and receiving that loving touch and washing of our feet by our brothers and sisters and then offering that same humble, loving service to one another. And here we experience the love of God and we pour it out on others. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And we demonstrate it by washing one another's feet this night, but every other day of the year as well. Then at the end of this service, we will strip the altar, the whole apse area will become bare to prepare our hearts to receive Jesus stripped bare on Good Friday. His flogging, his crucifixion, when God's love for us is on fire, full display, and that love just flows out to the very end through the laying down of his life to redeem us who are slaves to sin 
and wounded by sin and sickness, that to redeem a slave, you gave a son. So that hunger, humility, and love, the work of God this night, brothers and sisters, and in these three days, God is up to that with us in this season, this, these, these days and nights during this week. That kind of humility and hunger and love that cultivates, that grows Christ's likeness in us and in our community. So, if you are up for that kind of a revival, a revival birthed through hunger, humility, and love, then you have come to the right place tonight. It's a divine appointment for you, for us as a family, as a community. You would open up your pew Bible or turn in your Bible or your, your app to John chapter 13, chapter that we read this evening. It's on page 900 in the pew Bible. John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus' hour has now come. Back in John chapter 2 at the wedding feast at Cana, he said to his mother, my hour is not yet come but his hour has come now. This is the time of the Passover, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And this is the hour when the lamb of God will be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Now the hour has come. It is the hour of his dying and his death. It's also for John the evangelist. He speaks of it as the hour of Jesus' glory, when he's lifted up, lifted up on a cross, and God, who so loved the world, gives his only Son, loving us to the end, John says, to the fullest extent. And all those who look up to and believe in the one who is lifted up on the tree will be saved, will be made whole, including the betrayers like Judas, even the deserters, the deniers like Peter, even the sinners like all of us. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God and was returning to God, Jesus is so secure in the knowledge that he is God's beloved Son. He knows his purpose to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin, sickness, and death, and to draw the whole world into the love of God by his saving embrace. And he knows that he will return to God mission accomplished, no sheep lost or left behind. And so Jesus is held in this kind of security, and so he's freed to serve in such a shocking and yet tender way with his disciples, to take up the basin and the towel, to demonstrate God's saving, washing, healing, forgiving love, to do what a household servant would have done, as a sign of welcome and hospitality, to wash the dirty, dusty, not very presentable feet of his own disciples. As Augustine said, the one into whose hands the Father has given all now takes his disciples' feet into his hands to wash them. And we hear Peter's protestation in this story. 
He just cannot understand how this rabbi or teacher turns servant. How does that work? Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus says, later you'll understand, Peter. Peter says, well, you will never wash my feet. How many of us are like that? Coming in tonight thinking, I don't know if I want to get my feet washed or not. But how difficult it is for us to receive, to receive the saving, washing, healing, forgiving love of God, to be on the receiving end, not on the giving end. How difficult is it for us to ask for help, to be vulnerable, to be exposed, our unpresentableness displayed, our guilt brought out of darkness into light. We don't want to be seen as needy, to admit our need for help, to confess our powerlessness, to be numbered among those who have failed or fallen, or those who are struggling in some way. We all have dirty feet, brothers and sisters. They're weary, they're tired, they're dusty from the journey that is life. And if we will admit it, we have even feet that have stepped in it sometimes. I remember a woman from one of my former St. Luke's parishes. Her name was Virginia. She was part of the WASPs in World War II. One of those women Air Force Service pilots who flew military aircraft missions, not combat missions, but they were strategic and courageous all the same. Virginia was one of those true steel magnolias. And we'd begun to offer healing prayer during communion at that St. Luke's church, just as we do here. And I know Virginia was at least in her mid-80s at that point and suffered from a number of things. But every time she walked by the healing prayer team after she'd received communion, she would just flash them a thumbs-up sign as she walked by and she'd say, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to stop, I'm good. I don't need prayer, I'm good. Jesus responds to Peter who protests receiving a washing from Jesus and to all of us who would protest. You will never wash my feet, I'm good. Jesus gives this rather terse reply. If I do not wash you, you have no share in me. As Rod Whitaker in his commentary on John explains, if Peter is to have a share with Jesus, in his community and the eternal life that comes through faith in him, then he must be washed by Jesus. Bishop Greg Brewer put this on his Facebook page today. I thought it was so appropriate. Will it be difficult to allow someone to wash our feet? Yes, though the act is bathed in prayer. But far more difficult for some is to allow God to wash our hearts and bathe them in his healing mercies. Tenderness can be explosive, but this is the way of freedom. And Peter will soon, very soon, plumb the depths of his own brokenness and selfishness in his outright denial of Jesus later that same evening, next to a charcoal fire, an act of betrayal that just dismantles him, sends him down, 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 takes away his pride, takes away the persona that he's kept, of the, the man in charge, the man who knows, the, the leader of the group. 
And Peter will finally know genuine humility when Jesus restores him, this broken man, after the resurrection, next to another charcoal fire on the beach. When Jesus tenderly asks Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter, for each time that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus asks him that question, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's cut to the heart with Jesus' question the third time. And Jesus, I like to think of as a skillful, skillful surgeon who cuts deeply into the knotted up guilt and self-hatred in Peter and pours out the ointment of forgiveness on Peter's wounds of betrayal and then calls him into mission to love that will lead him to lay down his own life, intending and shepherding the sheep of Jesus' flock by washing feet, by following Jesus' own example, experiencing the deep love of God down to the very depths of his soul and then pouring it out to others. I'm going to close with a story of a foot washing many years ago for me. I was a young high school student. I was in Notre Dame Stadium with about 35,000 other people. It was my first ever healing service I ever attended, just out of high school. We were worshiping and singing. There was great teaching. The platform of the speakers was way down on the field. And as you looked across the stadium, you could see Touchdown Jesus on the other side on the library. <laughs> And I remember this, this young priest named Father Francis McNutt was down there, and he was supposed to lead a healing service. And I thought, how can somebody lead a healing service for 35,000 people? And then I thought to myself, well, I'm not going down on that field to be prayed for. This is not like Billy Graham. I'm not going down there. I didn't have to go down there. Francis read the same gospel that we just heard tonight, the gospel from John 13. And he invited us to stay right where we were in our seats. And he said, now close your eyes and picture Jesus coming right to you. Right in front of you, he's standing. And he takes off his outer garment. And he takes the towel in the basin. And he kneels before you. And Jesus washes your feet tonight. And he speaks those words of healing of love, of tenderness to you, whatever it is you need to hear. And you speak whatever you need to say to him. It was a powerful moment, complete silence in this whole stadium. And then you could hear bits of tears over here, weeping, weeping over here, people being touched by Jesus, who's right there in front of them, loving them, healing them, washing them, forgiving them, strengthening them. It was so beautiful. That's what he does for us this night, brothers and sisters. Whether you go and have your feet washed tonight or not, just close your eyes for a moment, would you? You know the story. Jesus, I ask you to come now. Come and be present in this revival night. Come in all your humility and give us the grace of humility to receive you. And Jesus comes and stands before you. 
and takes the towel in the basin and he kneels at your feet and he begins to wash them. To wash away the fear, to wash away the anxiety, to wash away the grief, to wash away the sin, to wash away your weariness. And he speaks a word of love to you, a word that you need to hear. Jesus, come and do that washing in each of us this night. And as you pour out your love upon us, Lord, then give us the grace to pour it out onto this world that so desperately needs to know that kind of love. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.